Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYT Radio. My name is Brandon Leatherby. BYT Radio stands for Brightest Young Things Radio. Brightest Young Things is an arts and culture website based out of Washington, D.C., with a presence in New York and Chicago. We also happen to throw events, so before we get to the show with Andy, uh, I just want to let everyone know that our Future Is Festival is at the end of March, and tickets for that go on sale tomorrow Friday, February 7th. There's multiple uh, events. Some are free, some are ticketed. Uh, A lot of it takes place at the Lincoln Theater. Go to brightestyoungthings.com for more information about that. It's just on the front page. You can't miss it. Uh, If you're in Washington, D.C., tomorrow, Friday, February 7th, and you're looking for something to do, consider going to You, Me, Them, Everybody Live, which is my talk show that I've been doing for 12 years at the Wonderland Ballroom. Professional wrestler Logan Easton LaRue will be on that show, and it will be quite fun speaking of fun another thing you could do is to go to dram and grain which is in uh the basement slash separate entrance of the imperial it's the same people behind jack rose and the imperial uh and the old dram and grain there's a new dram and grain uh we did a preview of it when it just opened in november and that's on brightestchunkthings.com and we interviewed uh wine director morgan kirshner uh for our thanksgiving episode uh, now we're focused just on the cocktails. It's February. You're looking for something to do for Valentine's Day. It's harder to find a better cocktail than what Andy Bixby's doing at Dram and Grain. Uh, he makes, he doesn't make, his team makes, he, he formulates. It doesn't matter. You understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, they make really interesting stuff, uh, cocktails that have eight plus ingredients and occasionally stuff that uses things like a pressure cooker. They make the kind of cocktails you're hard-pressed to ever make at home unless you want to spend $200 trying to figure out how to make a cocktail that could cost you under $20. you are not going to do this. So uh, that's why it's nice when you could go to a place like Dram and & Graham and they do all the work that you don't want to do. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. I, I like chatting with Andy quite a bit. Uh, for a much more in-depth piece about Dram & Graham, uh, check out BrightestYoungThings.com uh, in the next few days. Uh, Nicholas Carlin and Kaylee Dugan will be uh, putting up their piece. So, without further ado, here's my chat with Dram & Grain slash Imperial slash Jack Rose Creative Director of Beverage, Andy Bixby. Starting point, let's talk about staples at home. So, here's, here's the thing I like about coming here. Unlike a lot of other places, I don't ever come here thinking, I'm going to take a photo of the menu and then I'm going to make these at home. Hopefully not. There's a place up the street, which I like quite a bit, Jug and Table, right? Yep. I go there and I take a photo of the menu when I see a wine I like and then I go buy that wine, right? It's very difficult to do that at the Imperial and it's even more so to do that with the cocktail menu that you've yes. designed at Dram and Grain. Is yes. that fair? Yes. If you can if you can take a picture of the menu and go home and recreate it, you need to come and work for me. Yeah, okay. Uh, please come come in, give me your resume and you're in. So let's go with home and let's go with outside of the home. What's yeah. the staple at your home? What's the one staple herb you use? Ooh. Uh, majority of for for my for my usage it's 100% going to be mint um, for Camille's usage uh, she loves cilantro I have the gene that tastes like soap so it's lost on me all the glory of of, of any pico de guy really? you can find yeah I when mean, did you realize you had that 
oh man, I've known that I didn't like it for a long time. And then, and I think probably about five, six years ago, somebody told me that there was actually the gene for yeah, it. Yeah. And my brother, my dad, me, all taste like soap. My That's mom, Camille, my wife, and Bridget, my brother's fiance, all love so it. So it's not that difficult then to do all these things because these are staples. For for those mint things, is yeah, I mean, mint, mint you can get everywhere. everywhere. Like I'm, I'm not going into epizote. Like that's not like man, you need to have the freshest epizote in order to make this great cocktail. You can and have fun with that. Like you know, for those types of things, that's what the flavor bible is there for. It's one of the greatest compendiums of ingredients and food resources that I think any home chef, home bartender, somebody that wants to start igniting and kickstarting their creati- creativity, that's where you go to the flavor bible. Because if you do look and you find that herb that you're used to or that thing that you can get all the time, you can look in there and you can find 10 different things that you probably never had. And then that gives you the ability to say, all right, cool, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for these two things. And I'm going to combine that with the ingredient I already know or sub that out and figure out something new that I like with it. So where does the flavor Bible fit in to the using a pressure cooker? Uh, well, those are, those are the techniques. Those are the things that we learn through the day to day. I think that's, I think that's part of what makes you a great creative mind. All right, let's give this more context. Okay, cool. No one knows what the hell I'm talking about. There's a drink on your menu. Yes, the Put the Lime in the Koji Nut um, is one of our tiki-style cocktails that uh, falls under our tomorrow category. Okay. Um, So the goal of the basement is we are creating not just the supporting characters for a cocktail, as I like to say, but we're also trying to make the stars of the show as well. So making base ingredients that that the cocktail revolves around, but showcasing the versatility of how it interacts with different things. So our tomorrow is a savory style Amaro, tomorrow and tomorrow um, we're blending together three different spirits souvening it with dehydrated lime sesame seeds lemongrass fresh ginger as well as tamari a barrel-aged shoyu miso and mirin so we create this ingredient that encompasses just about every flavor profile our palate can pick up on all we need to do is add, add the acid so for this cocktail to put the lime in the koji nut uh, we're using lime juice but this is a colada style drink um, in which we're taking that tomorrow, blending it with some nigori sake, a house-made uh, white rum blend, and then we're taking Coco Lopez, cream of coconut, in the can still, throwing that in the pressure cooker, and letting that cook for about six hours. So the goal is that we're creating a higher temperature than we could ever reach boiling, so we can kickstart that Maillard reaction. We can caramelize those sugars. We can take it from this bright and cloying ingredient down into a darker, richer, and complex ingredient that makes you think a little bit more, which the tomorrow's already going to help with. Um, so, you know... Uh, our chef next door and, and the way that I've seen a lot of, of dulce de leche is being made. They'll, they'll take that canned evaporated milk, that sweetened condensed milk, and they'll throw that into, into boiling water and they'll let that same kind of process happen. It's a little bit softer when you're boiling, so coconut needs a little bit more to get that toasty flavor. So well, let's, let's pressure cook it. Let's, let's get it in there and let's get that temperature we want. I tried it at two, four, and six hours, and uh, the six hour was definitely the most complex. That's where we really started to see the changes um, and everything got really, really fun. Two hours, it's a it's it's a light toast. Four hours, you get a little bit more more chocolate and coffee notes, but that six hours is where we get this really caramelized sugar bitterness and that, that balances out from that sweetness. So based on that description and the amount of ingredients, the amount of time, are you making money on this cocktail? Uh, that, is, that is definitely the challenge when we're trying to create these programs nowadays to live up to the caliber of what I think the rest of the industry is, is expecting and what the rest of the guests are expecting. It's a very tough, tough line to, to, to uh, traverse to try to figure out how I can do something as cool as possible, but still try to use spirits that help us well, to make margins. When I think of Jack Rose, when I think of Dram and Green, when I think of Imperial, I don't necessarily think of the, the crazy cocktails. I think of more of the like spirit collection, and to see how that makes money is super simple. Like, you 
Yeah, it, it's, it's a little bit more straightforward. We buy this bottle for this much. We know we exactly. need to make this much money. This, on the other this. hand, is the opposite. Right, because there's some things where it's like, yeah, technically the amount of work and labor and spirit costs that go into something like the Jungle Bird should, to be ringing at its best at its best cost, should be something around a $20 cocktail. But I'm not necessary. not that I'm against $20 cocktails. I mean, go up, go to Vegas. You're paying $19 for a penicillin. Go to New York. You're paying you're paying $18 for go a classic. Any sporting event. Right. I mean, it's oh, my like- God. I was at a Caps game last night. Yeah. Great game. Go Caps. But um, holy shit, yeah. it was it was insane. Like I, uh, a, a friend, a regular from here, I, I saw them as I was at the concession stand. They were like, "Oh, come on, let me buy you a drink." So we they bought us a round of shots. It was two Avion tequilas and one Jameson, fifty eight dollars, I yeah. think, something like that. So it's like they're making killings. Yeah. But it's I can't do that. I don't want. I'm to I'm not do that. saying you should. No yeah, one right, should right, right, do exactly. That. No, no, don't don't capitalize on the fact that some people are willing to pay that because it's the idea. Yeah. Because that ostracizes a whole group of people that are like, whoa. That's way outside of my budget. And one but, of, yeah. But that's the thing. That's why I like coming to a place like this. That's why I like going to any of the Derek Brown places that are super fancy that aren't pop-up related. Like, I'm not going to make this at home. Right. Ever. Right. And I'm, I'm pretty open. Like, I will, I will run through the measurements you need to milk wash Bronca Menta so you can make this something similar to this Cavaletta at home. I'll tell you the process. You can email me. It'll give me some time on the response on that. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. a slightly busy guy, but you give, me, you give me some time. I'll respond back. I'll let you know how to do these things. But also, the amount of time, the amount of work, the amount of effort. What happens if you go out and buy that bottle of Fernet Branca that you milk wash the whole thing, but you mess it up? Oh, it doesn't work. Now you've just wasted $40 on a bottle of Fernet Branca, and you're like, damn it, Andy told me that this was going to work. It's like, well, but I'm not here to hold your hand and watch you as you try to do this, as you learn this new technique. This thing that I know I messed up the first two times when I tried to make milk punch when I was trying to do this. It's like, nope, this doesn't work right. So I, okay, cool. Let's jump back to the drawing board. That's another advantage we have here. If I eat that cost, you know what? It's my fault, but I'm going to figure out a way to make that better. I can do something with it, or I can do it something different. Drumming Rain's been open, what, three months now? Yeah, a little over three months now. It's a lot different than the last Drumming Rain. And when I would think of the last Drumming Rain, it's the exact same stuff I thought of with Jack Rose. Like, super hard to find, really rare whiskeys. Good cocktail program, but like what six on the menu? Something a lot smaller. Uh, upstairs, like upstairs is about eight. Downstairs, we have about uh, fourteen. And now it's a lot different. Now there's like really nice food. I'm not saying the food before wasn't nice. No, but, but Imperial, our goal, our goal here is to do something different. We wanted to give a, that upper echelon experience while still being able to provide it in a way that does not number one crush your bank account but that also allows you to come in and frankly if you want to come in and have your just classic old-fashioned please sit down don't ever feel weird about ordering that like i want you to still know that this is a bar well is it weird that now you actually can sit down and uh well i i think i think uh I, what I what I think is different is is how many people we can we can engage in a night. One of the things that I think was awesome as we started in Dram was exclusivity. But as but really we, quick for the people that don't know, Dram and Green sat what fifteen twenty? Uh, yeah, I think I think twenty five was arms and elbows. Twenty five was was packed was and packed packed packed. Just lower ceiling, right? It was like eight. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a normal uh, lower lower basement room, classic um, dark panel wood, and yep. stuff like that. Now, what's the capacity? Uh, capacity is sitting at about 70, 75 70 people full full space, tall ceilings, tall ceilings, We're dedicated eighteen foot ceilings. Yep. that's probably the biggest. Yes, difference. exactly. I so, think I think there were there were a couple of 
flaws with, with not flaws, but things that we could have and are doing better here. Um, exclusivity is cool, but what's the point of trying to make something awesome for people if people can't come to it? Yeah. What's the point in trying to be a space that people can come and enjoy their night when they feel like they can't even drink the things they normally would want to drink because it's such an exclusive experience? Does that lead, does that lend to our benefit or does this just make us kind of exude a little bit more air of pretension? So if this is a different place, why keep the name? Because um, I wanted the mindset of, of what we became. Okay. I, I think we wanted to keep the heart of what this of what the bar grew into as as we the initial team got our our placement under our feet as we figured out what we wanted to be doing as we moved away from this speakeasy mindset and started to become more of a team that worked on creating really fun cool like I'm not I'm not saying we push all the boundaries but I I want us to do as much as we can in this house to make sure that no matter what you're getting, it is that unique experience. And I think that's what we wanted to continue. Well, the Moatland cocktail you mentioned, how long did it take to uh, think about, to formulate the idea to execute? The Which one? The, the one that re- that involves a pressure cooker? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, and miso <laughs> and mirin. So that ingredient, the tomorrow itself, that took, that took a year's worth of work through Morgan. She was trying different Amari. She was trying different base ingredients. We were trying to figure out what savory elements we wanted to put in and how to balance those into something that needs to go into a cocktail. It's really easy to make something savory. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to make something palatable, savory, and versatile. And again, that's the huge aspect of what I'm challenging the team to do, is to start to think about ingredients that aren't just one-shots, that aren't these things that are hyper-focused, fabricated ingredients that work for a singular purpose. Because we're making, all we're doing is creating oddly shaped elliptical pegs to fit into oddly shaped elliptical holes that we've created ourselves, thinking that we're creating this new niche. But we're not necessarily creating a niche, we're creating one moment of an experience that will probably get shadowed by somebody maybe wanting to expand upon that, but we didn't have that in our heads already. Have you been to any bars that thought you thought they did amazing in the first month or two, and then they just closed within six months because they overthought it? In DC proper. Um, I think... I'm not asking for names of bars. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... I think there are people who have started programs that have definitely wanted to run a certain type of concept, but maybe the demographic wasn't there, maybe the uh, the amount of people, the size of the space, and that's a huge thing. Cocktail bars can't be a small thing. We would Draymond Green, old Draymond Green, would never have been able to stand on its own without side without Jack Rips. The ability for us to do those things, because it was such a small space, because we could only get so many people down there at night, we could only do so much. So. This allows us, and again, the goal is not to create a wildly different atmosphere. I want you to still be able to get a seat. I want you to still have bartender-to-guest interaction. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. You're engaging with a bartender anywhere in this basement. And that's what I always want. That was the mindset of Dram that I think lived on through into this concept. It's that, it's that we can get you down and we can have this be an experience for you and for your friends and have this be something where you can end your night, start your night, have it in the middle of the night before you, after you go out to dinner or something like that. But have it be a space that, that welcomes more people as opposed to uh, alienates. If you were going to order one thing on the menu, not food, drinks, something like your menu that you developed, Um, what would you recommend? All right. Uh, Right now, you're actively drinking one of my my nerdy, most favorite cocktails on this menu. Um, This is not the, the Cavaletta. It's uh, Cavaletta's Italian for grasshopper. We wanted to make, uh, we wanted to take this classic cocktail that airs on the cloyingly sweet side and turn it into something that had legs to stand on for itself. Something that uh, 
could work in all aspects. This uses our house anisette, uh, that milk-washed bronca menta that I talked about earlier, uh, white cacao, a little bit of heavy cream. We're shaking that up and topping it with an almond pizzelle. It's one of my favorite drinks on this menu. Don't come down and, and this is not your pairing cocktail. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you get this with, with the uni rice. This is, this is one of those drinks. This is a standalone drink. Now, that uni rice is fantastic. <laughs> But the last thing, the last drink you provided is probably the easiest to sell. Stealing tomatoes from the Garden of Eden is hands down the staff favorite cocktail. This is really yeah. I mean, this we love selling this drink because I love seeing somebody's face when I tell them you should get this, and they say I don't like Bloody Marys. It's like cool. I normally don't either. Here's the thing: I love Bloody Marys. I hate vodka. And as soon as you say Absolute Elixir, I'm like, I don't want it. Vodka, but it's a great. Canvas. It I lets understand me showcase that. It's because it's fun to cheat. I get it. Everyone yeah. likes the pats. Right. I, but I'm just saying, from what you're talking about with like 1830 ingredients, then there's a fucking mm-hmm. blender, and then you got to put it in the deep fryer. <laughs> yep. That's the opposite. That's just like, here's a really cool thing I did with a tomato that yeah. makes vodka good. Yeah, so this, that cocktail came off of our trust menu. That was, that was one of the final drinks on, on the last page of our, of our trust menu in which we stripped everything else but the name from that page. So the only thing you got to read was its name. And I think, again, my favorite thing to have happen in this job, in this, in this industry, is to show somebody something new or to, to open their eyes to something different to take the way that we think about something and to show it in a, in a totally different or put it on its head flip it around make somebody appreciate something that they that they knew to their core that this was not the thing that they wanted but show them that it is you've just probably had it in a way that wasn't for you i love that sentiment i i really love your drinks i love the place but what you're saying is ben affleck's closing argument and chasing <laughs> And looking back at a 1997 film in 2020, it doesn't age so well. It doesn't. It so really maybe doesn't. don't ever present this thing as you didn't know you wanted it, but then you had it and now you love it. I would stay away Touché. from that. Touche. Uh, maybe more so, uh, I love opening your eyes to the new possibilities of the ways you can look at something. Like vermouth. 